This is CliffCentral.com. Simon Nonke, welcome to the show. It's Frankly Speaking, another hour of discussing South Africa, the issues within it, and what is going on in this country and what we feel about it. And the world, man, and the continent. We, we, you've been you know. passionate about this ever since you've gone to Oxford, eh? No, why, why, why are you like this? <laughs> <laughs> Killing me, man. Do we like it, Was it? I'm fine. How are you, my brother? Sure, bro. Sure, mm. sure. How is life treating you? No, we, we push on, eh? I, I am interested in this, this African connect that you've got. Like, we are, as South Africans, an island on a continent, aren't we? We tend to be. And, uh, and, and, and I think if we, if we removed ourselves from the idea that we're exceptional, we might, we might actually uh, avoid a lot of unnecessary issues. But I mean, we are exceptional. I mean, let's be honest, you know. Uh, we're not looking exceptional right now, <laughs> if we're just 100% honest. <laughs> we are certainly not looking exceptional. There is nothing exceptional or different about South Africa at the moment. I had an interesting conversation on Facebook, you know, as those conversations go. Yeah. Um, where I was ranting in some way or form about capitalism and the Guptas in some way. And um, a... Person that was in my connection and in your Facebook uh, world contacted me and said, "Listen, man, we're, we're you're focusing on the wrong stuff. Like yes. this is a drop in the ocean right now, you know." Mm. And I was like, "What? No!" And then I went on my woke white to world and rage and disgust about the Guptas and the corporates and 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 mm. um, and he then laid down a very interesting discussion around what we should be focusing on. So mm. I thought, let's get this guy in. Let's talk to him face-to-face, mm. hear what he has to say, and then let's make our own minds up of, of are we as South Africans focusing on the right stuff? You know? And, you know, in parallel to that, I, I had a conversation with, uh, with some Nigerian friends, and they heard me going off as usual about, ah, oh, you know, this issue, that issue within the South African context. And they said, cheapest. Why you South Africans love getting so distracted by things that don't matter? Um, and, and that was quite a, a light bulb moment for me because, you know, Nigerians or those ones, I mean, without generalizing, they, 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 they <laughs> those certainly, 280 million ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they certainly, you know, they said, look, they, they had a very pragmatic view about things, right? They weren't going to let, you know, for example, I think South Africans, we will focus a lot on like, my dignity, you know, you, you trampled on my dignity mm. when you did that. And those guys were like, dude, just get on with it. Mm. You know, um, there's so much that we need to get done. And if you're going to pause and throw your toys out the cot, um, every time, uh, something happens, uh, mm. we actually, we don't get to where we actually need to get to. Then mm. you look at it and you say, but you know, it doesn't take much for South Africa to be distracted, right? Mm. It takes two people, just two people fighting in a restaurant. And for that to get caught on video. And that becomes national news. All of a sudden now, even I wasn't there, I don't know the people, but now I'm now having ill will to Andrew and to Luke just because they're white. And mm. all of a sudden, our entire energy and resource is being dragged down this rabbit hole and we actually miss doing the things that matter. We've got people who are who are going hungry still. We've got, you know, we spend a lot of on, educa- on education, but we get horrible education outcomes. So I think it's a, it's a very valid question around, you know, are we, are we, are we just distracted generally mm. as South Africans and should, and where should we be focusing on? Mm. Um, given the last show that we did on, on McKinsey and so on, mm. on the one hand, it's, you know, are we focusing on, on, on just a, a small, 
portion of the broader evil that's happening mm. in society. Yeah. Um, when we just focus on Zuma and the Guptas, uh, when there's so many other forms of evil that we need to be looking at, but also in focusing all of our energies on that, uh, is there good that we should be focusing on, right? Mm. As a, na- as a nation. And then comes to individuals. How you get a grip, you know, like South Africa, could we get a grip and what does that look like, mm. um, at an individual level? You know, I was going to rant about the McKinsey's again this week because they released a press release at 12 o'clock at night. I was like, what corporate releases a press release about this at 12 o'clock? But I won't because we're not focusing on the wrong things today. We're gonna you focus still on the need right to help things. me understand what, you, no, what, your, what this itch is that you can't scratch. Listen to the podcast. It's there. It's there. <laughs> Listen, we're joined uh, in studio uh, by Luke Jordan. He's the CEO of Grassroot. Um, it's a tech startup for uh, community organizing. And does a whole bunch of interesting things. Uh, we'll get to hear a little bit about that from the man himself. But I, I just want to encourage people to to get on board. We, we have to say thank you to a lot of listeners out there who continuously Facebook us, WhatsApp us, tweet us every single week. And listen, if you have any comments about what we really should be focusing on, where should our energy be um, geared towards and... What are we getting distracted about? We'd love to hear from you at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore Levy uh, or hit us up on Facebook at Frankly Speaking and you can uh, get your thoughts heard and we'll, we'll definitely respond and hopefully Luke will respond to some of those questions and comments as well um, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to pose him a question specifically. So Luke, um, his organization, I mean, you've, you've, you've given the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn version of the introduction, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the reason why we're speaking to him is his organization um, sits at the center with many other organizations of community organizing and equipping mm. and providing the tools and developing the tools that community organizers require. Those are the people who are right at the at the ground level, and I think the word ground level is probably also not right, but mm. those are the people who are at the call face of the issues in the communities. And these are people who basically understand, you know, we can have all of these theoretical abstract conversations on Twitter and so on, mm. and we'll speak about the poor, and we'll speak about the masses, the disaffected masses. Mm. No, these are organizations and individuals who actually work with the, this collective that we tend to speak about, mm. and they will know better than most of us what are the issues that really matter for the person in the street? Mm. And therefore, when we're busy going off on the next hashtag, um, once again distracted, um, what is it that we're missing? Because all of that energy is an opportunity cost to us actually making real changes that impact the people um, that such organizations work with. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming, man. Thank you. How um, I suppose we, we have to start with, how did you get into this? I mean, you've got a pretty uh, interesting background. Uh, you worked for the man. I did. The real man. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, your background and how you got into grassroots. Okay. So to name the man, um, I did work <laughs> for McKinsey. Oh, shock and Rory, why are you bringing this person into studio here? Oh, no, I brought I him. Fight now. Now you know, the fight. beautiful thing is we've got you on record earlier in the show saying you had a Facebook chat uh, with this man <laughs> and you brought him in. Although the, the interesting right, thing is that right. is all of my friends that I'm actually not on Facebook. So I think we had that chat uh, in a different media. What's up? Well, that's correct. Uh, apologies, apologies. You see how Luke is my now. friend and I, and, I, and I embrace him and I, 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 uh, I, take, I take part of You want to take responsibility. <laughs> I take responsibility. Okay. No, that's nice. Thank you. Luke, um, so, so you worked at McKinsey. So I worked at McKinsey from 2005 to 10, mostly in China. 
Um, I then worked for the World Bank in India and Afghanistan. <laughs> I like what you did there. <laughs> you just framing this from 2005 to when we weren't dodgy. And also I was working in China, so I had nothing to do with anything that's going on. Yeah, I like that. Well done, Luke. Very nice. Um, and then the World Bank in India and Afghanistan. Um, and then I came home in early 2014 to try and sort of put what I'd learned uh, to service. And why I ended up with uh, grassroots, there's a story I kind of often tell, which is in India, I was really lucky to work with an extraordinary guy called Aaron Myra, who had been kind of, he'd run Tata Motors, he'd been the chairman of BCG in India. Um, he was one of the most respected business figures in India. And in 2008-9, he got um, tapped by an incoming government to run their industrial policy. And he came in and instead of, he had some ideas about what he thought needed to be done. Um, but he, uh, and those ideas, I mean, given his background would have been better than any I could have had. But he, um, uh, rather than just going and executing those, he did the simple thing. He went and looked at what the last guy had come up with mm -hmm. as a set of ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and he realized that pretty much all of his ideas were there. And so then he said, well, what happened? And somebody said, well, they didn't get implemented. And then instead of saying, ah, government's useless, it never implements anything, he actually said, well, why didn't it get implemented? And he kept following that track down. And eventually what he figured out was that what had happened was that every time anything got to being important or got to the ground, got to needing to be implemented, it would get lost in either the fact that a detail was wrong and couldn't get fixed, so mm -hmm. there was no learning happening, right. or uh, people would just start arguing about the details because that's when arguments happen. Nobody argues about abstract things like, should we have more black industrialists? I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> right? Like, how do you argue about... I mean, I know some people argue about that, but really, you know, it's, it's difficult yeah. to... You know, what should the IDC's acceptable loss rate be on loans to black industrialists? Now people are going to fight, mm. right? Mm. So, and so he basically said, I'm not going to work on all these big plans. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try and help people work together more effectively. And I really internalized that. And that was part of when I got back, I was thinking about how do we, how do I contribute? And eventually that led down to roads. Well, let's try and just make some pretty simple tools to help people do that. It, it if I read between the lines, does that mean you want to try and get into government at some stage? Um, maybe, maybe not. See there. You see what he did there, Rory? That's a politician. <laughs> he's, he's practicing already. He's practicing already. I like, I like how you've come on to today's show with like, it's almost like you prepared, you did push-ups for him just because he worked at McKinsey. Like every time, every time, every time he gives an now? answer, you're like, do you see what he did there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fine now. I'm the, that was, that was the last podcast. You can check that out. So frankly speaking. Um, and I think this is the important thing, right? Is that we, you know, me, okay, let, let me not say we, I get hugely upset with what's going on in our country at the moment. It started off with all these Zuma allegations, 783 of them. Then, you know, then it was Shabir Sheikh and then Sheikh disappeared and then it was the Guptas and then the Guptas, you know, were actually the nice people and then suddenly we saw other government officials getting involved and then it was the corporates and now Shabir Sheikh is our best friend because now he's going to testify against uh, Zuma and continue to get frustrated about these issues uh, so you you put me in my place a little bit um, to say these issues aren't really important i wouldn't say that they're not important i would say that fixing them is definitely not going to be sufficient to solve many if 
uh, if any of our serious problems. I think, you know, it, it is difficult to solve or deal with any of the problems that we have when we have at the top deep corruption. Um, but removing that while everything else stays the same is not going to make much difference either. And I think it is um, part of that comes from, you know, week in, week out at Grassroots. We, we work very closely with our users. We're a tech company, mm-hmm. but we're in the field a lot. And I would just come back from in a community meeting where there's an informal settlement that the red ants are evicting and people are, 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 are being um, uh, subjected Fair to enough. harsh violence. Yeah. Um, where people are trying to get the local government to answer anything, where people are desperately trying to find a job but being given the runaround. And you come out of that environment and you see this social media and talk radio kind of system going into paroxysms about like we're in some uniquely new, different, difficult space. And it just sounds like something from a different world. You know, mm. This does not correlate to anything. Because where I'm coming from, where at that level, there's been a crisis for decades, centuries. Like mm. this is not the crisis gets worse and better, but it's permanent. So the idea that kind of this is uniquely bad doesn't correlate. So let's let's get into just the context before we get into the distractions and so on. Um, what are the big issues right now that you feel that South Africans are, are being distracted by? I mean, one that comes to mind is just the Guptas and so on. Um, and, 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 you know, just the size of that issue. It's taking up all of the oxygen um, in the country. All eyes are on that. And, uh, and you had an interesting thing you said before the show is that, you know, you really, really want to write the Guptas a letter. Tell us why you want to write the Guptas a letter. Well, I said this jokingly to part of my team the other day, which was, so one of the issues, for example, is that we have a private, not for, a, a private for-profit vocational education sector that basically sucks enormous amounts of money out of the poor every year and hands them so-called degrees that are completely worthless. Mm. Right, And this is a double tragedy. There's an immediate cost because this is literally taking money from the pockets of the poor. And there's a longer term cost, which is we really need a working vocational education system and these players on the way of it. Mm-hmm. And if you think about long term impact on the country, this is massively more important than like SAA, like massively more important. A broken vocational education system is going to cost us so much more in the long run. But nobody ever talks about it. And it seems like even issues that we do talk about, it's only when the Guptas get involved. So I jokingly said, you know, I kind of like to ask the Guptas to buy a for-profit vocational college. Like, please buy Rosebank College so that we can actually <laughs> talk about it. Yeah. Like, because until, until, until the Guptas that, touch we're it, we're not, we're not speaking yeah, about that. Yeah we're, 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 yeah. we're more concerned about Saxon world and so on. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you've been, you've been very critical as well. Sorry, Andrew. You've no been, worries. You've been very critical as well. Um, of, the opposition and how the opposition also seems to to get caught in this distraction, um, using the shortcut to court when 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 they should be actually focusing on mass mobilization, um, is that is that something that 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 you think is also a big part of the problem? Yes, I mean I'll give you here's a concrete example. Um, a few months ago, and as you'll notice, I'm not sure I'm naming names. So a few months ago. Um, the DA uh, administration in Johannesburg uh, put through its budget for the next year. Massive problems in this budget. Um, there were line items that were cut that nobody commented on. There were um, targets were, were, were rejigged around. It didn't really answer much uh, in the needs of the poor. And fine, that's not the DA's constituency, although they like to claim otherwise. Uh, but it is the EFF's constituency. And the EFF had the votes to stop that budget going through. And the 
the natural thing you would have expected a party whose constituency is the poor in that environment to do is to bargain hard to extract concessions for their constituency, right? So get uh, more funds directed from uh, the northern suburbs down into the, in, into the townships, change how some of the processes are working. And they did practically none of that. There was a little bit of grandstanding around one or two items, but there was nothing really concrete. What, what, tell us some of the issues. So just, just as Okay, a, so here's, yeah. here's one example. This is an example I love to cite. The... Um, the city of Joburg has a, every municipality has performance scorecard, right? Um, just like in any company, the municipalities have a performance scorecard. It's usually on page 250 to 270 of the IDP. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the thing that structures official behavior because it determines ban- bonuses and salaries. Um, so, and as I said, it's in the IDP, but it's towards the back. And Tell it's me what the different. IDP is. Oh, sorry. Integrated Development Plan. Right. It's the thing that's supposed to structure local <coughs> government spending. Basically, this is uh, this year. This is what government is going to do, or local government mm. is going to do in terms of de- developments. Whether we're going to build a new road, a sewer system, mm-hmm. a school, okay. whatever. Good. It's good, basically good, their good. plan for the, the game plan for the which they're supposed to 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 put together by consulting the community. Mm. Actually, mm. even stronger than that, it's there's a l- legislation that says there's supposed to be participation by the community. I'm glad and that's happened. Exactly. <laughs> um, and we'll get into that because I think that is probably the biggest issue that nobody's talking about. But just to give you this one concrete example, um, one of the targets in the city of Joburg's um, performance management is informal settlements upgraded. Mm. Okay, so how many settlements that year are they going to upgrade? Sounds logical. Right. Now, the number of the target went from two the previous year to 10 this year. Again, sounds great and sounds logical. Until you go and look at the fact that the budget item for that got cut by 10%. Cheaper. So you're going to do five times uh, the impact for, for like how much? L- much less than... Way the, less. Like way it was less. like 10% less. It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was nowhere crazy. near. There was no increase. Yeah. Well, so then you ask, well, what does that mean? Well, the obvious answer to that is you change the definition of upgraded, mm. right? I was upgraded. about to say, what does upgraded mean? Exactly. I'd love, to know, those, I'd love to know those two That's line items. Yeah. Right? So upgraded is not defined. So you change upgraded from an actual upgrade to like I put in a streetlight and I call it upgraded. Right? Mm. Now, that's somewhere where you would have expected somebody to say, say the EFF, to say we're not going to stand for this. You know, we want, we want 10, but we want four times the budget, mm. right? Match the budget. Finance DA says, well, we'll reduce corruption, so we'll be more efficient. But you're not 80% more efficient. Mm. You're 20% more efficient. So fine, quadruple the budget. Mm. Mm. No such extraction was done, right? Mm. Uh, the housing targets, just as one other, the housing targets similarly went from 3,000 to 8,000. This is when the mayor keeps talking about 300,000 house backlog. I mean, it's a tiny amount. But even there, they introduced the word opportunities. So it went from 3,000 houses per year to 8,000 housing opportunities. The DA loves opportunity as a word. Eh? Mm. Equal opportunity, society, opportunities. Quite interesting. So, so okay, so, so that's, that's an interesting thing. And it's quite interesting that you zoom in on um, a particular local government because these are things that we can touch and feel. Mm. Um, so this is happening. This, we're distracted not just at at a national level, but, but even the things that actually determine our rates and taxes on a monthly mm-hmm. basis, we, we're distracted. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going on? What, what is leading to the distraction? What is enabling the distraction? How in the world are we letting these? Is it just, should we put the blame on our political leaders? No, I think that would be letting us off too easily. Um, and I think it's, that's a big question. 
so you're gonna have to give me a little bit of runway um <laughs> but you can interject <laughs> but i mean so i think the first thing is just to understand the kind of size why it's such a big question and because as much as we focus on national government local government is really the, the coal face local governments where most of the money gets spent it's where most of the services get delivered it's um, where most of the corruption probably it's happens. where most of the corruption happens yeah. undoubtedly um, and it's what, when you see the rising numbers of service delivery protests, uh, a lot of that is coming out of, most of that is frustration with local government. Um, and yeah, within local government, it's just, it's a huge system. So the city of Joburg's annual budget is 50 billion rand, right? That's enormous. That's bigger than almost any of our companies. Um, and so within that system, what happens is you have, a huge, complex, moving bureaucracy where things gain some momentum and where you've got some people who are well-intentioned, you've got some people who are badly intentioned, you've got some people who just want to go home from nine to three. And then you've got a public which doesn't really, at least in the media sphere, doesn't really engage with this process. You know, it's always, I find it funny, kind of any, in the areas where we work, everybody knows their ward number. Everybody knows their ward number. Everybody mm. knows the name of the ward councillor. You go mm. to the suburbs, nobody knows their ward number. Nobody knows their ward councillor. Mm. So this fact We did a show on that, uh, if you remember, just before the local government I don't even remember the show because I don't remember the ward councillors. <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite interesting because uh, those are the same people that will say, ah, but, you know, the poor are voting because they're uninformed okay. and whatever. And we asked a few people oh, when we went into in the, the middle. We oh, went into the middle right. of Ravonia and we said, so, so what are you voting? For for change. Oh, change from who to who? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very funny. So, so 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 this is this is so you're basically saying that the so-called poor are a lot more informed about what's oh, yeah. happening than 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 the, the one affluent. The, the chattering classes. But isn't this the the issue? And if you've just joined us now, welcome to the show. We're we're talking a little bit about what should we be spending our energy or focusing our energy on in South Africa. We're joined by. Uh, Luke Jordan, he is the CEO of a tech startup called Grassroot, uh, a tech community organizing startup. Let me put that in there because a tech startup sounds like we've got the next Google here, which we do, but um, in, in the local organizing space. I'm interested by the fact, Luke, you know, we talk about laziness as a, as a South African discourse, as, as South Africans. Isn't that the problem? It's so easy to hashtag Guptas. It's so easy to talk about uh, Dudumnyeni. Um, and SAA and, and, and. It's not so easy to talk about local government, the COJ, um, what did you say? It was 50 billion rand budget and page 209 of a document that has absolutely no KPIs in it. There's no one to, to give us that information in a succinct way so that we can hashtag it because we are inherently lazy. And like Rory always likes to fight me on because he's a capitalist and I'm supposedly fighting a capitalist system. You can't fight a lazy system. You can't fight a system where people are lazy. So why are we not just giving it to them in bite sizes so that they can actually get on board? Well, we should be doing that. And in fact, the, um, and this is part of, so I think this is, this is a big enough problem that there are multiple things that are wrong that we have to work on, right? Okay. So there's a sort of negative feedback cycle, which is even when I mention kind of the poor knowing their ward and their ward counselor, when you have these planning processes, what they'll tell you is, there's a consultation for the IDP, right, for, the, for this integrated development plan where a lot of these topics come up. And what happens is people will go to them and they'll say, oh, well, you know, he has, you know, real example in Ivory Park. They said, we want our road widened. And the city said, here, I have a swimming pool. Like, literally, that happened. There's a <laughs> yeah, swimming but, pool in Ivory Park. But that's great. Oh. It's important. Um, 
And so people start to check out of the process. So it's both, you can't expect people, it's, it's often, you know, we have this thing where we say, oh, people don't participate in this process. And then you're like, well, the process has no meaning. So mm. why are you, and, and, and so it's, it's a chicken and egg. Concept, yeah. It's a bit of a chicken and egg. <clears throat> and most of the evidence suggests that when you create processes that have meaning, people do engage, but you have to give the process meaning. And that's why it is chicken and egg because processes generally don't have meaning until people are engaged in them enough to give them bite and give mm. them power. But where I think we should start on that is I completely agree about there's an information design problem. There's mm. completely an information design problem that problem, they shouldn't be 350 page documents. The IDPs should be much smaller, much more. One successful. page. Tell us what you're going to do this year. The, um, tell us what you're going to do in principles, like, and just let's Specifics. have a discuss about, yeah. discussion about that. Yeah. Um, the and actually there's legislation that requires that so this is the other thing i mean this is just so there's a thing called the municipal systems act um which has a chapter on community participation which says not only must local government uh have community participation in the budget the the planning the performance management so setting kpis and following up but that if the community doesn't have the capacity to engage in that process, then the city must, uh, local government must allocate budget to give them the capacity to engage in that. So that's in law, but what it's turned out to be is because this is really hard. Like mm. you have to underestimate it. Like there's a, it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of talking. City officials get tired of this, right? And so I don't think it's out of, sometimes it's ill will, but a lot of time it's just like, this is hard. It takes going, you know, a hundred extra miles and yeah, the kind of chattering class on social media and one don't care and two give them no props when they kind of mm. um, actually deliver on it. I've, so uh, I've, I've, I've been involved in a number of these things and it's uh, one of the challenges is of course uh, you're coming from a, a bureaucrat is coming to have a conversation with people who don't necessarily understand the language of, Mm. of bureaucracy right mm. and uh, understandably he has to make bureaucratic decisions but you're speaking to different languages um whereas the community doesn't is not versed in that language so there's actually an entire process that the community must go through um of of you know how do we how do we extract out of the community what it feels its needs are um and then finding a way of translating that into a language that the bureaucrat can understand. But I think we digress. Um, the, the <laughs> Why do we? The we never digress on this show. This is a conversational <laughs> show. We've never digressed. Luke's here, and I feel like we're digressing a lot. Um, why is it? Is it? Is it? So this distraction, why is it happening? Is it because, uh, so you said p part of it is that we're probably not informed enough, but is it because we willfully choose to be distracted? So, for example, I'm, I'm interested in the Guptas. Um, why is it that we are so consumed by the Guptas um, when there are probably much bigger heists happening outside, maybe by private sector and so on? I mean, this McKinsey thing and so on. Um, when it comes on, just using a sample size of one myself, um, it's a lot less interesting mm. when you think McKinsey, SAP, and so on. It's like, oh, people just want us mm. to move on from that. And then, but let's deal with the Guptas. What, what, what do you think is leading to this, to this, to this desire, almost willful distraction by some things and not by others? We, we, we are very, we're not objective about mm. what distracts us. What, why is that? So I think uh, just to give you, I would say a, a very clear example of this, you know, we were chatting beforehand about the nuclear deal and yes, the nuclear deal, um, is a problem and it, it should be stopped. Um, however, there's also the fact that we have NASPERS, which, if you look at the numbers, has has a negative 400 billion rand market cap. 
yes. if you take out yes. the value if you of take 10 out cents, cent, yeah. basically, <laughs> and so literally, if NASPERS just unbundled itself and returns the value of ne- of ten cent to its shareholders, that would immediately close a four hundred billion rand gap back into like the pension funds uh, yeah. and financial system of the country. Exactly. Right? And but we don't talk about that. And the CEO can tell everyone that's complaining to F off and, exactly. and because and, of and, and no one, shareholders. And no one and no one says no one says. Well, people hey, do say things. I mean, Alan Gray like voted against it and said mm. no, but it doesn't matter because Chris Becker has rigged the shareholding structure, so he nobody can do anything, mm. right? Mm. Now that's an example of a story that's massive numbers. So the, the problem isn't the go numbers. back go back to the impact on because people might be ah, oh, but that's a company. Just go back to how that impacts then on broader society and the pension funds. Okay. So, um, just to step through it. So basically, at the moment, this value of NASPA's stake in Tencent, which is listed in Hong Kong, um, is about 400 billion rand more, even after tax and transaction costs, than what NASPA's is sitting on in, on the JSE at the moment. So what that means is that all of NASPA's outside of the, outside of the Tencent stake is worth minus 400 billion. It's not actually worth minus 400 billion. Yeah, it's probably yeah. worth zero. <laughs> but it's not, or maybe a, one or two billion, but mm. it's basically worth zero. But because everybody's so scared of what the NASPAS executives are going to do with the 10 cent dividends, they mark it down. So if NASPAS basically took the 10 cents, they wouldn't even have to sell the stake, right? Because they keep saying, oh, well, people keep selling list it. it as a separate entity. Exactly. So mm. take this, and Yahoo did this in the US, mm. right? With mm. their Alibaba stake. So you mm. take the 10 cent stake, you put it into a separate company, and you list that company, right? That company... And you basically say to all current NASPAS shareholders, which are pretty much all the pension funds in the country, all of the retail investors in the country, because it's so big on our stock exchange, and you say to them, here you go, for your share in NASPAS, you get a share in this uh, vehicle. You would more or less, and then they would probably all sell out of whatever rump NASPAS stake they had, you would more or less close that valuation gap. So the value of pretty much all of the pension funds in the country, all of the retail investors, would accumulate by that 300 to 400 billion. Mm. It's not quite that simple. There would be losses due to friction in the mechanics. Yeah. But there's a couple of hundred billion. And Andrew, I see you're kind of glazing. There's something wrong with the mic. It, it hasn't been working for the last three and a half minutes as we started sort of NASA's. But there, there lies the problem. Yes. Right? There, there lies, lies the exact problem. problem. Because you're talking about market caps and 10 cent and all these things about listening of stock exchange for someone who you know for a lot of young South Africans who are really fueling this whole Twitter Twitterati if we call it that um, or slacktivism there's no ways they can engage with that like there's absolutely no way really though no I I mean you asked me to step through it in three and a half minutes I bet you so here's the thing is I think I, I Maybe this is just like a personal bias. I, I really I want to blame consumers lost and citizens lost, right? There are institutions intermediating this. Yeah. So, for example, um, let's take that NASPERS thing because I just described it in a highly technical way. But there are villains in there. You could make that story a lot sexier. Frankly. Make it Disney for me, you know? You like could- <laughs> I want the Lion King of NASPERS, you know? Like <laughs> okay, you're asking the wrong person, but there are people who could do. <laughs> My point is this, is that um, I think a couple of things happen. One is um, I actually lay a lot of the blame. Sorry, this is a bit ironic being here, but I lay. I, I think talk radio is a major part of the problem. Mm. I think a lot of the talk radio shows basically deal in outrage. And the way you get outrage is simple stories told with people that everybody can relate to. Right? Because they need the numbers. People need to listen to things, right? Right, and where is talk radio consumed? It's consumed in your air-conditioned car while sitting on the highway, right? Insulated yeah. from reality, 
listening to something on the radio that you're kind of half paying attention to. Yeah. Right. Because you're looking at what's happening with traffic. Right. So I think um, actually much more and I'll get, you know, I think slacktivism is unfair, but I think so talk radio, I think um, could be doing things a lot smarter and more in depth. Though, again, then the question is how many people would listen. Right. Yeah. But I think I think, you know, if a talk radio show did like half an hour on NASPERS and why is this a problem and what would the effect be? Then I think you could be then then they could tell that story in a way that was much more interesting. So here's a here's a tweet for you about NASPERS. Fourteen uh, percent of NASPERS is owned by the PIC that manages pension fund money. Mm. That's two hundred mm. billion rand of South African pensioners' money that's sitting in NASPERS, and so that is huge. That the group is trying to go over. No, no, so never mind that, but simply just the way NASPERS manages mm. um, that money impacts directly on South African pensioners, sure. right? Mm. And, and so, I mean, I like, I mean, that's a huge number, 200 billion, but we're focused on the Guptas and that they're taking, they're probably, there's probably less in, in amount, in terms of the amounts we've heard, but there's 200 billion at stake here. Mm. That no, none of us are speaking about. So there's another area in which maybe, is there, is there anything else, Luke, that you feel are, are big? So there's, there's an entire, I mean, the McKinsey SAP thing has really, um, revealed that there's an entire corporate sector that we mm. are, that we're letting off the hook. Mm. Outside of the corporate sector and NASPARS being an example, what else is it that you think we are being distracted from? So I think one of the things is, and I mentioned at the beginning, there's a sort of ground level participation, and then there's the ability of a state to learn, right? And now one of the things is our state at all levels is really bad at learning, um, and that's even in the technocratic phases. And this is where, you know, there's a bit of a cult around Pravin Gordon, but his department and when he was in charge issued some really bad regulations, right, that are really messed up in the details. Things like on local procurement, which makes people fall asleep. But procurement is how government spend buys money. And so Gordon and his team issued this regulation in the late 2000s that specifies that when local government buys something, after the technical evaluation, you throw away the technical scores and you evaluate just on price, right? Which is mm. crazy, mm. right? Mm. So basically you set a technical threshold. Any bid that clears that technical threshold, you evaluate only on price. There's no weighted thing. Right now, that's you can fix that. Means that. quality. That means that you you undermine exactly. the, the, the you undermine quality. You exactly. Basically, just prices. The prices. Price yeah. Yeah. So yeah. either either what you do is you either set your quality threshold super high, in which case you generally get failed procurements and you have to do them over and over again, or you set your quality threshold really low, in which case you end up with the lowest bid, and you can fix that pretty easily by t- shifting to a weighted score system. Lots of countries do that. But we just haven't fixed that, mm. right? Here's another example, and this is really important, actually, is the National Research Fund, the NRF. Uh, there was a bit of news about it earlier a couple of weeks ago because it slashed some of the funding for um, A-rated and other researchers. Mm-hmm. But as important is the way that the NRF, and I'm going to probably make your eyes glaze over for a second, no, no, but no. let me just... Um, Give me credit, Luke. <laughs> is the way the NRF gives grants for like papers that you publish is they take the paper that you publish and they take the number of authors and they divide by the number of authors and they allocate a grant. Okay, wow. Right? So this is really bad. So that means that a guy who is doing breakthrough research on HIV AIDS is going to get the same as a guy who's decided to look at the number of times Rory and Andrew go off script on on radio. (laughs) 
There's a little, there's a little bit of divide through by that. That's a many, <laughs> many times. No, there's a little bit of quality differential. So, but the quality differential is like how good the journal is that you publish in. Mm. But the more thing is actually, so that guy who's doing wall breaking research, if he wants to collaborate, if there's a guy Ritz who wants to do a joint paper with a guy in Cape Town, they're going to get half the money. Wow. Oh, because you divide it by because two. Because you're co-authoring. Because you're co-authoring. Right. Yeah. Okay. right? And especially, and even if you co-author internationally. So the guy in Virtu wants to co-author a paper with a guy at MIT, he's going to get half so the money. So it's forcing researchers to work alone as opposed exactly. to collaboratively. Exactly. Which is catastrophic for science mm. because all leading edge science matters enormously for this. Now, I kind of uh, breakfast a few weeks ago with a guy from DeepMind, which is like the world's leading AI company. They're the guys who built the Go system beat a human and you know south african elites go on and on about the fourth industrial revolution right because it's like this davos slogan that they've all imbibed somewhere um but and this guy is like in at the leading edge of ai and he said look in south africa you've got great researchers who could be doing a lot in ai Mm. but this rule is killing them because none of them will collaborate with us on any paper Mm. and all of these people kind of going on and on about the fourth industrial revolution none of them have said let's fix this rule but now luke one can imagine from this conversation that there's uh, this a multitude of issues and we'll talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about in like how it gets to you individually but isn't that the problem as well they're just so diverse i mean we've got we've we've taken quite a Let's say a mediocre dive. I don't want to say a deep dive from the consulting world, um, but a mediocre dive into the NRF, right? That That's one of a billion issues in South Africa, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we gain momentum if, if, so, if it's so broken that isn't it, doesn't it then actually justify why we get involved with the Guptas? Cause we're like, well, there's so many issues. Well, uh, this one's, this one's quite cool. It makes, makes me look cool on Twitter. I'm just going to hook that one up. See, I look at it the other way around, but this is where it's like, I'm generally extremely pessimistic and cynical, but I have this reservoir of optimism from that, which is, <laughs> I generally say to people that it's sort of, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tragic optimist, which is, I think things are bad, but they could be worse. Um, and so on that front, what I would say in that is actually, no, that's an opportunity because it means whatever your field is, right? You don't have to be involved with everything, but like, let's say you're in, in your field, yeah. fix in your field. Yeah. If you're an academic or if you're somebody who works in computer science or science, lobby on the NRF. If you're somebody who's involved with youth training or education, lobby on the for-profit education system. If you're somebody who's involved in corporate governance and consulting, lobby on the corporate governance rules. Like there's enough different scope. And so my thing would be rather than thinking that there's like one issue that's going to dominate and that you should be fixing above all, take what you're involved in, take what you're engaged in and run with that and try and make a change in that because that's how our public discourse will get healthier. So if you've just joined us, uh, we're speaking to Luke Jordan. He's the CEO of Grassroots. And uh, we're discussing, frankly speaking, are we focusing or worrying about the right things, um, particularly as South Africans uh, amidst in the midst of, of all the distractions in the news and so on? Um, what is it that we're taking our eye off the ball on? Uh, Luke, so you've given us, you've given us great examples, uh, but if you had to then give us a ranking of, of the top three things that, uh, are distracting us as South Africans, what would they be? Before Luke answers this, I just want to say an analogy came to mind, Rory, which I think you'll like. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I was talking about the Lion King earlier and, and Luke's eyes glazed over because he was doing mathematical ad maths <laughs> at, at age six when I was learning, <laughs> learning to speak. You know? But, um, it's like, it's like I hate 
going on game drives, right? And going to the Kruger Park for, for any reason. It's just a waste of my time. I can see it on National Geographic, right? But everyone gets very excited about the big five. And once you've seen the big five once or twice, as South Africans, for example, because we're spoiled with that, we're bored with that. And then they came up with the little five. Um, the meerkat is part of the little five. Don't ask me how I know this. I read, right? And, and so it's, it, to, to Rory's point, what are the little fives in South Africa that we should be looking at in but terms changing, of things? You're changing my question. I know. Cause I was actually <laughs> going to ask what for clarification on that question. Are you Look, asking for what are the distractions or what should we be talking about? Well, well, I, I think the distractions. What, what are the top three distractions? Oh, do you so think? I, I jumped the gun. You jumped the gun. What are the top three distractions? Because then I want to get into, um, can we use my little five analogy? On? Uh, we can. Let's just let's just park it. <laughs> I don't, this is getting complicated, and I'm getting lost. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> frankly speaking, what okay. are the top three? What are the top three distractions right now in our? Country? By distractions, do you mean? Sorry, because I, I got to get a little bit. Yeah, definitions important, mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. right? Because by distraction, do you mean something that's not important that we're spending time, or something that we're spending more time on than it's important? Both. I think okay. I think a distraction can be both. Yeah. Um. Sure. Uh. Okay. See, the, my challenge with that question is when you answer that, it makes you sound like you're, you're trivializing everything else. Everything, right. What you're just calling a distraction. Mm. And it's mm. not that I want to call them a distraction. Mm. So I'm going to say, what do I think we're paying more attention to than we should? All right. And I will say the one thing is the Gupta narrative. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't think it's important. It is a problem to have that level of corruption at that top level of state, undoubtedly. Mm. I do just think it's kind of... Should it be a hundred percent of our conversation? Probably not, right? I'm not saying it should be zero percent, but it should be somewhere in between, mm. right? So I think that's the one. That's one where I think we need to keep a focus on it. We cannot let this run out, but we need. To, but but I think it sucks up all of the oxygen. Mm. Um, I'd say the second thing is, okay, this one's going to get me in trouble. Um, but yes. I'm going to say we, this. We wait. Jump. We wait. Jump. I know where it's going, but yeah. I'll wait for it to come out. Because I got I got to say it in the full way. So, I think we spend way too much time trying to convince holdout white South Africans of reality. We are, as white South Africans, we are 8 to 9% of the population. Really, the country shouldn't spend this much time trying to convince 8% of the population. You hold a significant reality. amount of the resources I know. that we need so, to move exactly. things along. So. And so, the conversation should be amongst the majority of the country. What is the how way? Do take them? How yes. do we take the resources from the white people so we can get on with how things? Do, how, how, how do we redistribute in a way that doesn't torch the economy, that does allow for redistribution over time, and that is meaningful? That's not an impossible task. That's a fully possible task. There are things like massive levels of share ownership. You know, I personally think we should say every JSE listed company should get to 30% black employee in ownership in 10 years. And we can change the tax code to make that happen. If we're talking about land, how do we talk about a land value tax with an exemption for a generation? How do we talk about, there are all of these detailed policy discussions that we really need to have. And we're not having them because we feel like we still have to persuade 8% of the population that we should even be talking about these <laughs> as a problem, right? Like that's, so I think that's kind of the second one. Um, and then the... Uh, uh, is there a race? Is there a ra- you know? You spoke about that in a in a very convoluted way about how we shouldn't convince the white people, the eight percent of white people, um, about things that are in their country 8% and that are changing. Of the population, not the 8%. sorry, eight percent of the population <laughs> and eight percent of the white people. In fairness, as well, but um, is are we do we spend way too much time on race? Rory, you mentioned at the beginning of the show you feel like that's been a distraction for you. 
do we as a country and as individuals within that country spend way too much time thinking about race? Only in the sense, not in the sense of thinking about the racialized dimension of resource control in the country. We cannot spend too much time on that. Mm. That is massively mm. important. Mm. We do spend too much time obsessing about the minutiae of race relations mm. and mm. getting over various hang-ups and stuff. We need to just move this conversation on to how do we do the redistribution that we have to do in a way that's productive and that works. And we're going to have to experiment on that, right? Like even something like I mentioned land or like share ownership. Those are complex policy tasks. We're going to have to try multiple different ways to do that. And instead of getting to that, we're still stuck on ground one of that conversation. Okay. Now, number three? Uh... What is number three? Um, number three, maybe I'd say... Oh, yeah. Number three, I'd say state ownership. Um, we have these extremely complex... We have these long conversations about whether X should be state-owned or not. And really, the actual conversation is how much competition we have. Right, So a lot of the evidence says whether your electricity generator is state-owned or private makes a little bit of difference, but not that much difference. What really makes a big difference is do you have multiple generators competing with each other? Mm, to right? bring down the price, yeah. To, to, to bring down the price. Or like on, telco, on, on, on telecommunications, is it state-owned or private? What actually matters is how many different telcos and are they actually competing or colluding? Yeah. Right. So we spend way too much time on ownership and way too little time on competition. Mm. Um, and so I, think that's, so I think that's pretty important. Andrew, so now we can touch on the little, the little three. Andrew's a beautiful <laughs> analogy. Um, I felt like you minimized my analogy there. I was very <laughs> sad for someone who doesn't go so far in game driving. <laughs> so, so what are the little, little, little three? Well, the little three that are actually the big three. That's a, it was a weird analogy, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> I must say. But I'm backing up my brother because he's my brother, you know. <laughs> All right. You, you guys, you know what? Fine, fine. It's, it's a slow start to the day. All right, let's go. Let's go. Right, what are the little three that are actually the big three, Luke? Okay, so the little three that are actually the big three. So the first one is... Um, Number one is participation in the state and in our own governance. Mm. All of that I mentioned is both local government and it's also national. So you're basically saying the most important thing that this country should be focused on and discourse should be revolving around is participation. In particularly in local government, particularly in service delivery, particularly at the coal face. Mm. Because if you ask me what is the thing that I think is the long-term massive threat to the country, it is the massive levels of frustration and anger which are building from people hitting their heads against walls over mm. and over and over again, just trying to be part of a conversation about their lives. Mm. And I know that sounds abstract, cool. but it's like, for example, when people talk about clinics burning down, and there's this whole thing of like, mm. oh, these insensible, irrational people burning down a clinic. I, mean, I work with a lot of the people who I don't burn down clinics, but are in that kind of mood. And they'll say very clearly, look, we know if we ask for school over and over again, we don't get a school. If we burn down the clinic, we get the clinic back and we get a school. <laughs> so what true, do you want yeah. us to do? That's very rational. Well, it was that irrational. Yeah, that's there was that great research paper, The Smoke That Calls. Yes. You remember that. Yeah. Um, I remember reading that in 2009 or whenever it came out. And it was like, because like, I was one of those people that didn't understand. you know. Yeah. Until you go there and you haven't had water delivered to you in any way or form for two weeks. No one cares about you. No. Absolutely no one cares. Like, this is the thing. Yeah. At least we've got Twitter. You know, no one cares yeah. about not having water in Deep Sloot for two and a half weeks. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like, so for example, when people block highways, we worked with a community. They went and picketed ENCA. They literally went to ENCA's store and said, please tell our story. Please tell us what's happening. And ENCA was like, yeah, 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 sure. And didn't. And then a week later, they blocked the highway and ENCA was there in half an hour. So it's yes. like, okay, so what do you want to happen? So, right? so, so what, what is it that, that politicians then, I mean, it sounds like an obvious thing for politicians to pick up, for the media to pick up. Why aren't they, why aren't they doing it? And if this is the most important thing that we should be focusing on, and this is what the voters say is, is, is the most burning issue for them. What's distracting the politicians then? So, and I would say one of the three most important. Yes, yes. Um, because the other two I'm going to mention are also. Mm. Um, so I was given a very cynical interpretation by a community in Ranfontaine the other week who mm. said, you know, we keep expecting like our councillor to go to, because their council I think is ANC and the other guy's D and the city's DA or the opposite way around. They couldn't even remember because it was so immaterial. Mm. Mm. And they said, we keep waiting, thinking they're going to want to earn political plaudits from this. But what we've realized is they know that we've now passed the point where power is going to flip and none of them want to raise the standard. Okay. Right. Mm. So our mm. count, the guys mm. who are councillors now mm. don't want to create a standard for the city to that when they're city, they're going to have to answer They're going to. to have to answer to. Wow. Um, I think that... Jeez. Yeah. So as I said, that's probably about the most cynical one mm. that I've heard. Um, I do think there's a part of it which is... Um, why people aren't focusing on it is on the one hand because it's not taken seriously. It's not picked up by the media and the um, politicians do still respond to the media in a significant way. Um, and then I think the second part of it is I think particularly the way our political parties are structured and they're very hierarchical and there's very little, there's very little independence or mileage amongst kind of local councillors, yeah. um, except for when they get trying to get patronage. So unlike say, a lot of other political systems where you would expect local councillors to pick up this issue and start running with it and get political mileage from it. They just don't because the, the parties are too top down. Mm. Okay. So let's jump to the last okay. two before we run out of time. Yeah, I know. Mm. Uh, so the second one is what I've called the, the, the point of policy learning of institutional quality, the institutional ability to, to adapt and learn. Um, and again, this is like a very, uh, a technical subject, but it's basically, we have this issue and this goes so that you keep asking about leaders, mm. but I think the problem is actually we have people keep talking about leaders. The problem mm. isn't leaders. The problem is institutions. Yes. And the institutions, we keep getting leaders in who think they know everything. Right. And disregard their officials. Right. So like, and again, it's, it's, it's both sides, you know, like Tabo Mbeki was said to have kind of thrown out an entire industrial development plan because it didn't mention an industry that a guy at a cocktail party the day before mentioned to him, right? <laughs> like whether Cape Town pursues oil for refineries or aqua farming is like what side of bed did Patricia DeLille to get out yeah, of, right? Yeah. So we need to get past this idea. That we aren't like, evidence-based, it sounds like. We aren't well. evidence-based. Mm. We're too, it's like what you want in a policy system or an institutional <laughs> system is you want to make it really hard to do big shifts in direction and really easy to do small shifts small in direction. Shifts, mm. We're the exact opposite, right? We are... You know, you get a new minister and the whole policy changes. That's true. But any little detail that wants to get fixed takes like three years. But this longer. ability of institutions to learn is, is huge because it, it's not just about the technical of the institutions themselves. It's a, the entire society's ability to those individuals that make up the institution having the ability to yes. learn. Um, that's huge. Yes. <laughs> These are huge. You asked me for, I told you little three was a bad analogy. So I, I'm standing said, by my little three being a very So the good first analogy. one, and I think the characterization of the first one is closing the democratic deficit, right? right. So that's participation. Mm. So close the democratic deficit, 
Second one is get a state that learns. Mm. And I'm going to go three and four. And Sorry, the people that, that learned. The people that are able state, to learn. Yeah, yeah. That are able to admit mistakes mm. that get over the cult of leadership. Mm. Mm. The third is, um, and then the third and fourth, I'm just going to go third, three, four, five. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so three, four, five are policy, are policy based. So third is education, but mm. I'm not going to go into that because that'll take a whole episode. Yeah. But education, education, education. Mm. If we don't fix that, we're lost. Mm. And also, I suppose, access to high quality education. Exactly. Because but particularly that, that impacts education. number one, which impacts our ability to do to num- number one. Yeah. Well, it impacts number two and then impacts our ability to do number one effectively. Exactly. Mm. And I would say, and, and, I would say just on them, we need to set a really big goal on this. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. We keep going small bore on this. We should say we're going to be the best educated society in the world in 25 years. Mm. It sounds crazy, but mm. unless we try for something almost crazy, I don't think but we're going to And it goes back to leadership, Luke, because then, I mean, who's going to lead that process? If you've got leaders that, that are so slaphat about it. No, but I, I agree. It's a great I, objective, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Leaders will never get you there because what you need, yeah. you, the only way we're going to take a system the size of education, and we, you and I have spoken about this, and, and get it to work at that scale is, yes, you need leaders, but you need thousands. No, absolutely. So I'm not talking about these principals exactly. and teachers. Exactly. No, that I agree with. Yeah. So when I say the cause of the, what I mean is people think about it as oh, like the big a handful. Man. The big man. The big okay. man. No, I get No, you, I completely, to yeah. me, it's even those participative processes that I said in the democratic deficit, they only work if you, in every community. Absolutely. You've got a couple of people. Mm. So I agree with leadership, but in the thousands and tens of I thousands. I get you. Get you. Um, so then the fourth, uh, the fourth, the fourth and the fifth are just macroeconomic and there's, so number four is housing. That we don't have a good housing policy. Um, Why is that a bigger issue than HIV/AIDS? Just, just so we understand the perspective. So, um, if you go to India or China, um, the, probably the biggest job generator is construction, right? In China, actually, more jobs are in construction than are in manufacturing, right? We have a very shrunken construction sector, um, and if you ask what is you know, the one sector that could really turbocharge our growth very quickly, it's housing. And it's particularly housing, uh, the availability of housing credit for people in the middle income, in the lower middle income gap. Shouldn't you first solve land? Where are you going to build these houses? On top of what? Uh, no, I mean, what I'm talking about is principally urban housing. Right. Um, so housing and urban identification. So okay. But also just at the moment, if you earn 8,000 rand a month, you can get a loan for for a high screen for a high def TV screen very easily. <laughs> you try and get a mortgage mm. to buy even like a two hundred fifty thousand rand half flat. Good luck. But right. that's that. There's almost two there, isn't it? In that point, because it's it's housing and a housing policy and process, and then it's also access to housing finance, right? Yes. Because there's there's one to say government needs to give you uh, a house, right, or provide housing for. For the indignant, right? Then the other is to say, even now, now you're moving up the class system. You're moving to middle class, and you still can't get a house. Yes, you still can't own and, any and, land and because, you, because the finance system doesn't allow you to. And because the point, of, the point what's is, that word? Fika. That's right. Well, the point is, I don't think it's fika. I mean, it's other things, but it's, it's also <laughs> the National Credit Act, right? So, well, that's part of it's it. It's right off provisions in the National Credit Act, which is another one of those details that are broken, right? But the point is, with housing, the thing is, yeah, you can't get a house, but that means. It's not that you're going to buy a house that exists. You're going to buy a house that's built. That's new, yeah. And the job creation on that is absolutely yeah. massive. Yeah. And we've just, to me, it's always the thing that struck me the most was when I went back to um, Soweto for the first time when I came back from overseas. And I drove in and the transformation in Soweto is massive. But whereas in an India or a China, you would have seen Soweto crawling with construction crews, mm-hmm. absolutely crawling with construction crews. There's nobody. 
yeah. right? That's a well, massive you've got, but, but you've got you've got your major your build building suppliers making money hand over fist. So there is construction happening, no, there but, is. but but it's not, it's not so enough. it's not part of a broader housing policy because the cash bills and so on have been have been delivering amazing returns for yeah. the investors, um, and and it, it goes into the hands of it goes into pockets of private. Uh, investors. Which is a competition problem. Yes. Because absolutely. there's not enough competition in the sector, so the prices of building materials are too high. Mm. But by the way, this also feeds even into downstream materials like steel, for example, right? Mm. We, we actually have too, too little steel demand because we don't build enough construction. And just again, kind of as a comparison on issues, when people talk about China's macroeconomy, people who observe China's macroeconomy, the most dominant thing they talk about is housing. Mm. Housing is the single thing that people think about the most. Okay. Final thing is our tax policy. Our taxes, it's not about levels, it's about structure. Our taxes, we have an economy that is massively consumption skewed. So I'd actually say it's consumption over investment. Mm. We have um, far too little investment. So to give you an idea, it should be at around 25% of GDP investment. It's about 15%. Wow, right? that's huge. So that's a huge gap. Yeah. Um, and when I say should be, that's for our income level. Mm. Um, and we have a tax policy that basically is massively skewed towards consumption. And actually the biggest thing, again, going back to Previn Gordon, the stimulus he implemented in 2008-9 was atrociously designed because it all went into consumption. As opposed all to investment. In, as opposed to investment. Mm. So we need to change our tax code, mass- raise taxes on income a lot more and cut it on investment. So that so, you force people to use the money to invest exactly. rather than sit on it or, or exactly. consume. So we're talking. Sorry, just so that the layman in the room understands. We're talking about capital gains tax as an example, where you get taxed so heavily when you actually buy a property, then sell it, and you've actually invested here, and and then you get taxed so heavily. As, as one example of many. As an example of many. Actually, capital gains tax, the evidence is cutting capital gains tax doesn't create that much more in right. investment. Okay. What it is, is it's more as a corporate, right? So as a company at the moment, if I invest, I write that off over five years, right? So now if we transform that and we said you get to write that off now. Now, yeah. That, one year. That incentivizes me to invest a lot more. because Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because now I'm writing it straight off against taxes. Mm. Basically, taxes are paying for 30 to 40% of my investment. Right, mm. And to raise the money to do that, we introduce a luxury consumption tax. We raise income taxes on the, on the top end. So we basically shift people from, I was going to buy this car, this luxury car, but now the price has gone up Leave by Leave the 10%. cars alone. Why don't you go for the second and third, <laughs> the second, the second and third house uh, of, on the beach? Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about cars. Yeah, let's, talk about let's talk about cars. <laughs> no, let's talk about luxury cars. Yeah. <laughs> So instead of, or as a corporate, instead of paying out in dividends, because, so dividends, we should tax dividends a lot more, right? So you tax dividends. As a company CEO, I can either pay out my money in a, as a dividend, at which point 50% of it goes to tax, or I can put that money into building a new factory, at which point I get a massive tax incentive. Yeah. So you swing that balance. You know, I just keep quiet with, with all these things coming back to our capitalistic ways, huh? Because they can never do that. Because yeah, why? Can. Why? Because... People, shareholders want their dividends. They want no, their money. Andrew, no, like Andrew, that's a, completely so, wrong. So this is what I'm going to propose. We're going to have a show. It's going to be, <laughs> you're going to be the guest. I will ask questions. Good, okay. And I need to get to whether you're a capitalist or not because you keep saying, no, oh, no, 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 listen, no, listen, here's the thing. I'm a reluctant capitalist. I'm absolutely Andrew, Andrew, can I tell you, can I sum this up for you? Sure. Here's the thing. All of the evidence we have, I would actually call myself a socialist. All of the evidence we have, <laughs> you no, would, but you no. won't. I would, I am. <laughs> is, the state is very bad at owning things. The state is pretty good at taxing things. If you get the taxes right, 
Okay. Uh, yeah. So if you get the tax structure right, capitalists will do what you want them to do. It's like guiding a horse, right? There's an old Chi- I'm going to go on an old Chinese saying, which is if you pull a water buffalo by its tail, can you say it in you, Chinese? The strongest, no, the strongest <laughs> person, the strongest person in history can't move it more than a mile, can't move it more than 20 meters. If you stick, a, if you put a stick through its nose, a five-year-old boy could walk at the length of China. Uh. No, I've never decided that. <laughs> so think of capitalists. As, so think about capitalists as water buffaloes. Mm. And you got to find the stick to put through their nose to and lead them where they, you want. You're saying basically adapt any will, yeah. the, the adaption of any system, capitalism, they will adapt effectively is what you're saying. What I'm saying is what you have to think about is how do I create the incentives for them to do what is going to be socially useful? Even acknowledging the fact they're still going to try and game it. They're still going to have leakage. Mm. No system is perfect. Yeah, yeah. But how do you construct the incentives? It's the thing about shareholders. If you say to shareholders, I can give you dividends now, but you're going to lose 50% of it to the state, or I can create an appreciation of the share price that in three years' time is going to give you a, six, is going to give you a massively more uplift, they'll take that. Mm. Why do you think tech companies in the US never pay dividends and the shareholders don't complain? Because they say we're putting that money into growth. Mm. It's, it's a poor place to end because there's so much more in this conversation. It is an incredibly rich conversation. I feel like I've had to have uh, a thinking cap on for most of the day, the most of the morning, and I haven't I haven't had it on. So thank you for schooling us, uh, both Rory and uh, Luke. Oh, please, Appreciate man. it. Why, why you do that? That's another conversation. Why does Andrew do that when he's had his thinking cap on all along as well? Uh, no, yes, uh, no, 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 no. Um, but Luke, thank you very much. Where can people yeah. find out a little bit more about you know the things that you've been speaking about? I suppose, where can people find out about what you're saying in the media, about what, what Grassroot is doing? Like, give us a little bit of, of, of uh, information there. So, two basic sources. We have social media profiles. Um, so, our Instagram account, which is Grassroot ZA. Um, we do also have a Twitter account. I don't manage it. Um, and a Facebook page. Um, so, people can sign up to those. And there are links on our website, which is grassroot.org.za. Um, or just, as I say, find that. And on Instagram, we post a lot of what happens in the field quite often. Um, and the second thing is I do write occasionally for uh, the Daily Maverick. So if people kind of search for my name in Daily Maverick, they'll see. I've, 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 I've spoken about these in a few articles. In the awesome. Past. Be more. Rory, I think we should open this up a little bit to, to our listeners and, and ask them what they think the Little Big Three are. Um, it would be very interesting to hear from from people yeah. that are listening to the show saying what do they think the little big three are. Yeah. Um, so we'll put this uh, link on Facebook and then uh, please let's start conversations on what your little three are, little big three are uh, that we that you think we should be focusing on in South Africa. Yeah. But racism is still something because I know that those other guys on that other show are going to be like, yeah, 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 we told you that. It's you a, see, now you this, see. I wanted to it's say a, this earlier as well. important thing. The fact that you take the gas off on your issue around racism, right? Then the issue, I think, with a lot of specifically black South Africans is that if they do that, it then allows for people like the other show, the libertarians of this world, to then succeed and then almost like... But, but we must terrify. We must terrify. I, did not, say, thing, I yeah? did not say that racism is not an important thing. I said... It can be a distraction. And I think Luke said it best. You're trying to convince 8% of the population or less than 8% of the population and fight and spend all your energy with that. Deal with racism, but don't necessarily, I don't have to interact with those people to mm. deal with the racism. Mm. Mm. Very interesting point. Luke, uh, thank you so much. Uh, wonderful conversation, rich in nature. Um, 
the little big five didn't work. Uh, I'll take it. We all learn. No one has said what you're talking no, about. We're learning. It's, it's a state of learning here. Institutional learning. And we'll work it out for the next well show. Done. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. If you missed any of this podcast, frankly speaking, on uh, cliffcentral.com. And hear more from Luke Jordan. Thank you so much. Thank ciao, you. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. This is cliffcentral.com.